Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to ever happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I am a speaker, an author, and a coach. And each week I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is a dear friend of mine, and I'm so excited to have him as a guest on the podcast. Drew Perlwitt is the host of the Broken Brain Podcast, a top 20 health podcast with over 10 million downloads. As an entrepreneur, Drew is also the CEO of Dr. Hyman Enterprises, Pharmacy, and the Ultra Wellness Center, a functional medicine-based clinic. As a writer, Drew is a contributing author to two New York Times bestsellers, Clean Gut and Clean Eats, and he helped launch the global clean eating revolution by co-founding the Clean Program. Drew, welcome to the podcast. And I, Antonio, an honor to be on here. I super appreciate the invitation. And just as importantly, I so appreciate your friendship. Equally, man. And just for the viewers or, viewers or, or listeners, just so you know, one day there will be viewers. But right now, you're just going to be listening. Drew and I go back probably a good eight, nine years. We, we met via a mutual friend in Chicago. We both ended up in Los Angeles and became good friends here. We belong to a group called Man Morning, where we get together and we meet for like a one hour hike at 7 a.m. in the morning. And this has been just a powerful experience just to connect with an amazing group of men. And Drew really spearheaded this. So to have you on the podcast to talk about the things you're up to is a true joy, Drew. Oh, man. And, you know, especially in these times, you know, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, but in these times of coronavirus, self-quarantine, you know, uncertain future, possible recession looming on the surface, it's even more crucial just to make sure that everybody who's listening has a solid group of people, even one person that has our back that we can open up to about the challenges that we're dealing with in life, in our health, in our business. There's so much research that out there that shows just even being able to talk to one person honestly about what you're going through dramatically reduces stress in our lives. So I'm so thankful for that group. And uh, I couldn't think of a more important time that if you don't have that to put some emphasis on it. It's so critically important, as you and I both know, so many people don't have it and it's leading to a lot of pain for people. If you've listened to Drew's podcast, uh, and if you haven't listened to the Broken Brain podcast, I invite you to do so. One thing you know that Drew is passionate about is community and friendship. And I'm sure over the course of our conversation today, we'll talk a little bit about it. But Drew, you, you touched on it just a little bit there. But if you had to just briefly talk a bit about the importance of community and why it's so important to you, uh, would you be willing to share that? Yeah, I'd start off with this. The first thing is that we are truly seeing a global epidemic of loneliness. Now, loneliness isn't what we all think it necessarily is. Loneliness isn't some person living by themselves in a dark corner with no friends spending all the time on social media. Although that does happen sometimes, that's not the vast majority of what loneliness that people are experiencing. Loneliness is 
not feeling understood, even if you have a lot of friends and family in your world, not feeling like you have a core group of people that understand why you're here on earth, what you want to do, what you want to give focus and attention to. It's feeling like there's not a clear path or purpose that's ahead. It's feeling like you're not part of a group that all wants to lift each other up. So because we're dealing with this global epidemic of loneliness to the degree that countries like the UK actually have a national loneliness czar because it's such an issue. And we know that chronic loneliness, chronic extreme loneliness can have as significant effects on our health as smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Like just imagine that. Like we know how toxic like cigarettes are for <laughs> us. Just imagine that chronic loneliness, not feeling that people are there to support us, not feeling that people have our back and actually being in extreme isolation from other individuals can have an impact on our health. So this is the reason why I'm so passionate about the topic of friendship and creating a tribe on purpose because we all have gone through periods of our time where we felt misunderstood or a little bit more lonely or that. But sometimes I don't think that we give it the same amount of attention as we do other areas of our life. So that's why I'm passionate about this topic. And also you just said tribe on pur purpose. I'm thinking maybe what you're talking about there is many times we by default end up spending time with certain communities and certain groups. Of course, that can be our coworkers. Of course, that can be if we're in university or in school, those can be the friends we happen to be in the same classroom with. Those could be people in our neighborhoods. And sometimes those coworkers, those fellow classmates, those folks that live in the neighborhood may not be the best community. So when you say tribe on purpose, uh, obviously you're really talking about being intentional. Yeah, we're talking about intentional friendships. You know, there's nothing wrong with having or being friends with the people that are in your area or that are at your office or that you grew up with. But then like all areas of our life, just like the same way we audit our health or audit our finances, we have to look at the people that we surround ourselves with and say, are these intentional friends, friends that I'm choosing on purpose, friends that I want to grow with, friends that want to grow in their own life, that want to support each other, that want to leave that lead in. You know, I always say that, you know, your true friends won't let you forget about your goals and dreams. They'll check in. They'll say like, Hey man, you had that idea. You wanted to write that book. Like, are you still working on that? Right. And that's the power of intentional friendships. And on the opposite side, when we don't have intentional friendships, we've all been part of circles and communities where it's like the default behavior and the default patterns are complaining. The default behavior is happy hour after work. Nothing wrong with that, but that's the only way that you connect is over alcohol or only over sports or only over this. You start to see that the conversation becomes limited, which means that the ways that you could support each other in each other's lives becomes limited too. Yeah. And I think that's one reason why the man morning group that Drew and I belong to is so powerful because one, we meet at 7 a.m. And the conversations you have with buddies at 7 a.m., over a hike are very different than the conversations you have with someone at 7 p.m. at a bar. Again, there's nothing wrong with that. I get it, but I find the conversations are totally different. And the last thing I'll share about Man Morning, I think that's really positive for the listeners, is that Drew talked about this being intentional, is that we have, it's opt out. When I say opt out, it's on our calendar every Thursday. If you're in town, a lot of us travel, but if you're in town, you are expected to be there at 7 a.m. And if you're not going to be there, you actually say, hey guys, I'm not going to be there. So instead of each week saying, hey, who's game for this? Who's going to show up? We're expected to be there unless we otherwise communicate. So it's um, really powerful about being intentional. And Drew, I'm curious as we get into this question right now, I'm curious how loneliness loneliness 
potentially played a role in your life. And we'll see if it comes up with this question. So Drew, what is one of the best things that ever happened to you that isn't a traditional marker of success? Those things that wouldn't necessarily appear on a resume, show up on a bio or come up you know, in a natural conversation. For me, one of the best things, the absolute best things that's happened that has led to my entire experience as a serial entrepreneur, all the benefits that I have from having an incredible network of friends and high achievers like yourself in it, the connected deep relationships that I have with my family, you know, all the internal success, the external success that's there has been truly not fitting in not fitting in and growing up and consistently feeling like I did not fit in to the circle. <laughs> you know, let's say I'm a, let's say I'm a square peg and there's a circle hole and I don't fit into that consistently finding myself not fitting in, in a school environment, not fitting in, in a traditional work environment, not fitting in, in so many different things, not fitting in with necessarily even my group of friends that I had growing up. That has been one of the best things that's ever happened to me. And the reason why, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, please continue. And the reason why is that when you don't fit in to the pre-existing place that society or the world has for you, you have an opportunity to step into something that I say that, you know, Joseph Campbell, I like to quote Joseph Campbell. He says, you know, we must be willing to give up the life that we thought we were supposed to live to step into the life that we were meant to live. And when you don't fit in and you find yourself not feeling like this is the right path for you, some path that somebody else decided for you or created, or that society told you that you should have fit into, that starts to lead to a whole host of interesting questions, which helps you step into the life you are meant to live. I'm curious as you share that, there's a lot to unpack. And I, wow, it's, it's really awesome not fitting in because I know a lot of people would say not fitting in could potentially lead them to retreating, could potentially could lead to that loneliness you articulated earlier. And then you really were able to articulate to getting to the life you were meant to live and the opportunity you have, were you immediately, even at a young age, able to see that opportunity? Or did it come with maturity that you said, you know what, maybe this whole not fitting in in school, at work, or with some of the friends in my neighborhood, maybe this is a gift as opposed to a curse. How did you come to that understanding? Yeah, like a lot of things in our life, it doesn't always fully make sense. We have the feelings, and especially as a kid, you have limited language, you have limited ability to process the feelings that you have and think through their meaning. All you know is just that it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable not to fit in. It's uncomfortable not to feel like you know exactly what your path or purpose is. I mean, what do we ask every single high school student in these days? They're asking kids that are in elementary school. It's like, what do you want to do when you get older, right? Like, First of all, we'll talk about why that's like total BS. We'll get to that in a little <laughs> bit. But but you, when you're younger, you don't exactly know what it all means. You're just going through the motions and feeling internally, physically in your body like this doesn't feel exactly like what I want to do or what I care about or this doesn't feel like what I want to give my attention to. And, you know, I'm 37 now. And so I can remember growing up in school and feeling like that on a whole host of things, questioning even just the fundamentals of school. Like, is this how we're supposed to learn? Is this the subjects that we really need to be learning? Is this the things that we have to care about all the way up until 
college and a university level. So to answer your question, I didn't put it all together until much later on in life. But like a lot of things, when I look back, I realized that I wouldn't have had this quest to do all the things that I've been up to without having that drive of looking for what is really the world that I want to fit into and how can I most importantly create it for myself. I'm over here giggling a little bit, Drew, as you talk, because as you and I both know, what you were just describing Society isn't built for that type of thinking. Society is very much built for us being rule followers. We listen to the teacher in the front of the room. We are not meant to question anything. We're supposed to do what we are told to do. So tell me a little bit, the way you were thinking coming up, those questions that were being posed to you, did that spark any type of, uh, this is why I'm smiling, any rebellion in you coming up? You know, so I'm a child of immigrant parents, right? I'm born in Nairobi, Kenya. Uh, so I guess I'm an, I'm an immigrant myself. And, you know, there's certain expectations, uh, especially on families that were able and had the fortunate ability to maybe leave a location. I was born on August 1st, the day that a coup attempt was broken out. And the main reason that my family was able to leave is my dad who had his MBA and everybody in my family had their you know, college degrees and higher education. They actually were able to get sponsored and be brought over to the US for a new opportunity, a different uh, life opportunity that was there. So that's the that's what my parents knew. And so obviously they saw that education is your ticket. Uh, and like a lot of people believed at that time, and it's still true, education is still important. The question is, is it formalized or is there a self-taught version of it that's also just as important as a formal education? So there was rebellion, but I mean, just being real, like I did not have the opportunity as a young kid of immigrant parents in America to really break out of the norm too much. So there was an internal rebellion. There was an internal revolution. There was an internal questioning you know, questioning things that were being put in front of me. Uh, but there wasn't a lot of external ability to explain that. But I do remember thinking as a kid, I do remember thinking as a kid that, you know, it's funny that everybody's asking me what I want to be when I get older. And especially if you are Indian and, you know, because of the whole gender roles, unfortunately, especially if you're a son, uh, my parents didn't do this, but a lot of family members, other people, it's sort of just expected that you're going to be doctor, right? Or an engineer. It's like you have those two options or you're a failure, right? It's like, there's just like, there's three options, doctor, engineer, or failure. And I do remember thinking at that time, I was like, there are so many jobs out there in the world, so many different types of things. How is it that society is limiting us to just these couple versions of what they think our path and future should be. So the question of what you want to be, it's fascinating. As you know, I spent many years working in television as a reporter. And one thing I spent a lot of time doing was interviewing really successful entrepreneurs. I mean, men and women that you see on the covers of Fast Company, Inc. Magazine, and beyond, and many ones that would never appear in a magazine that are equally, if not more successful than the ones you actually do see on magazines. By the way, this is just a quick side note. I always find it funny. Just so y'all know, listeners, the people who are on the cover of the magazines, you don't know what their balance sheets look like. <laughs> Sometimes the folks that get the most pressed aren't the ones that should be getting it. That's just my, my quick editorial. Back to Drew. But one thing I always found interesting about these entrepreneurs, Drew, is that the consistent theme they had in common, these men and women, is something you describe as, again, that not fitting in. 
And that caused them to be really curious individuals and to go against the norm. Have you found in your community, I know you know a lot of successful entrepreneurs across the globe, have you found any similarities between you, how you think, how you approach life, and also these men and women who have chose not to go the traditional path of the, the nine to five? Absolutely. You know, we if we want to answer that question, even for the people who are listening, we first have to imagine that you know, first have to understand, like, what is the purpose of school? And, you know, Seth Godin, the author, Seth Godin, who I know you like, and, and I look up to a lot of his content, he wrote a really great ebook and has a talk on this online that you can Google. And it's called Stop Stealing Our Dreams. And he talks about the history of public education and our modern day way that we do the school system. And really, the history of the school system was designed primarily for corporations who were saying that, look, now that we're getting into the industrial age, we don't have enough workers. We have a lot of people who were on the farm and most of Americans at that time, pre-industrial revolution, were working in some sort of, you know, were in small towns, were not living in big cities and had no experience working in sort of a factory or a, a bigger uh, company. It was all small business. And they said, how do we get competent enough generalists? How do we get competent enough generalists, people that can follow instructions? So school, which has evolved a little bit and it's different by zip code uh, for in some cases for better, some cases for worse, unfortunately, it was designed to make us generalists to fit into and be a cog in a wheel, like literally be a cog in a factory that's producing cogs. So that was done very well. The challenge now becomes that if you want to create something that hasn't been created, if you want to give back in a way that you don't see out there in the world, if you want to create a different destiny and future that nobody in your family has done right now, then being trained to be a cog isn't what you need. We need a different type of training. And what I've found is that putting so much pressure, even as an adult, it doesn't matter if you're 14 or 40 years old or 80 years old, people often start off with this question. They say, what do I want to do? Or people ask you, what do you want to be when you get older? The truth is that I've seen in my journey, and as you alluded to, the journeys of other individuals is that you have to try a lot of things. One of the most beautiful things that happened to me is because I didn't feel like I fit in a, in a lot of traditional sorts of you know, pockets that were already there, I just tried a lot of stuff. I started hosting a podcast before anybody even know, knew really what podcast was. That's not my current podcast. I wish that I kept that podcast up and I might be the next Joe, you know, I might've been a Joe Rogan type of character out there in the world, but I tried podcasting. I learned computer programming. I would taste, I would taste, taste, taste. I started throwing events. I started trying this, trying that. I would see how does my brain naturally wire to solve problems? What do I like and what do I not like? What do I want to do more of and what, I, what do I want to do less of? Most of us, if we aren't going into a set fixed career, right? Like we know that we want to be a, a doctor. Even then, you know, there's sometimes variations in how that shows up. Our education is important, but we don't often know how we want to apply that education. And even the stats are right now, the average person graduating from university today is going to change their career, right? Not jobs. They're going to change their career four to six times in their lifetime. So 
based on that, wouldn't it make more sense that whether you're 14 and preparing for college or whether you're 40 and thinking about a career change or a midlife revival, or whether you're 80 and you still got life in you and you're like, I want to give back and create meaning. Wouldn't it make sense that the way to actually step into our purpose when we're not clear is to try because something magical happens when you try, you're not just in your head. In our head, it's almost like asking a child. If you go to a child and you ask them, what do you want to do when you get older? Or what do you want to do in the future? Their inventory of what they're calling upon is astronaut, baseball player, cowboy, firefighter, (laughs) doctor, teacher, veterinarian. They have a limited inventory, but guess what? Adults are no freaking different. Most adults don't even actually know what's out there. They don't know that there's somebody out there that gets paid to go speaking at different colleges and universities, and that's their main gig. They don't know actually that you could be a podcast host and start a podcast on a topic that you're super passionate about and get advertising revenue. They don't know that there's somebody that gets paid just to be a book launch manager to help authors like yourself uh, or my business partner, Dr. Mark Hyman, become New York Times bestsellers. They don't know that there's literally, okay, yes, maybe more than a kid. They know that it's more than an astronaut. A, you know, They might know accountant. They might know, let's say you know, the average adult might know of like 300 more you know, jobs or opportunities that are out there, but that's 300 of a possible list of, let's say, conservatively, conservative, conservatively, a half a million opportunities that are out there. So that's why I'm such a big fan of, do we really need to answer that question of what is our purpose now? Or do we need to just start trying more stuff and tasting things to see actually what we enjoy so that we can rinse and repeat and do more of it? As you were giving those statistics about how many times people are going to change jobs, you made me think back to my very first job, Drew, out of college. I was a sales representative for Kraft Foods in South Florida. I was responsible for grocery stores, 25 grocery stores, selling cheese. And I think about the the career arc that I've had. I'm that example of that person who has changed careers many times. And it was tough to do so because I wanted to follow the rules. And as you know, I spent a lot of time speaking to college students. And there's so much pressure on them when they're about to graduate from college. And they're like, what, what job do I take? And I have to remind them that your first job won't be your last job. And that's just a big sigh of relief. And even as you're describing, hey, be willing to try a lot of things. Wow. That I think probably a lot of people are hearing that. It it takes a lot of pressure off of your shoulders. And what it sounds like you're describing so beautifully is really an explorer's mentality, being willing to go on a journey, knowing that it's open-ended. But the question I have for you on that, Drew, is if you are that individual that is going to be willing to try a lot of things, um, society is going to say you're going against the grain. We talked a bit about community earlier. How do you, or how did you, um, communicate and handle any type of pushback or resistance from those who were close to you, who loved you, who wanted the best for Drew, and couldn't completely understand at the time that this guy is trying some things out to figure out what he wants to do? You know, I had unequivocal levels of compassion for them. Because the truth is, is that I could give you an answer, which you often see on Instagram, which is ignore the haters, ignore this, ignore that, right? Ignoring, it's actually very difficult to do. You can't ignore somebody if that person is your father, 
You can't ignore somebody if that person is your mother or your sister or your spouse, right? It's very difficult to ignore what they said to mean would mean to distance your feeling of affection or love for them. Instead, I tell people, step into compassion. Compassion is why do they think the way that they do? Because if I was them, you know, I, there's a friend of mine, Peter Crone, that I did an interview with my podcast. You know, he had this beautiful line. He said, if you were that person, if you grew up in their circumstances, if you were born at the time that they were, if you lived the life that they did, if you had the parents that they had, if you had the education they had, if you read the news that they read, if you had the friends that they had, if you had basically all the circumstances, you would think like them too. So that's why it's so crucial to step into compassion. Understand why that they're saying the way they do, which is very easy to do because you could just jump to the conclusion of if I had the same upbringing they did, I would be that same way. And to also realize that a little bit of resistance is actually healthy. Sometimes the worst thing in the world is when, especially a well-meaning parent has a kid who wants to try to do something different. They're like, oh, don't worry. There's no deadline. Yeah, I'll give you money. I'll support you. We'll do whatever. You know, It's okay. Oh, that didn't work out. Okay, try something different. Oh, no, there's unlimited amount of support that we have there. Sometimes if we really care about someone, we let them do what they have to do, even if we don't disagree, and we let them live with those consequences. And having a little bit of resistance that's there can actually be fuel for you to prove. I'm not going to lie. In my own life, and I know a lot of other people in their life, it's like they want to show what's possible. It's not only that they want to prove to their parents that they can do this or prove to somebody else that might get you started in the beginning, but it can be, but it won't keep you going for the future. So it's okay to have a healthy level of resistance that's around, but also have compassion for those people knowing that if you went through what they went through, you would think the same way. And also to realize this, even if you are a hyper people pleaser, even if you try to do everything you can for everyone in your life to not have any negativity put your way, you will still get criticized. You will still, people will still have their opinions on how you should live. So just by doing your own thing, that doesn't inherently mean that if you do the opposite, which is fit in, that you're not going to get criticized. Oh, that's beautiful. And when you talk about that resistance, I like to call that that good friction, that friction that benefits us as opposed to to hurts us. As you were talking there, I was thinking about, again, this whole theme of being willing to try a lot of things. And I know you've had an interesting journey as an entrepreneur from when you first started out to where you are. And and by the way, Antonio, could I interrupt for one second? Sure. I I just want to add in one thing. Trying doesn't mean quit your job, right? Trying could mean that you have your job. You're paying your mortgage. You got to support your family. You got to do what's needed. Then you come home and you're exploring interests. It means on the weekend, you're trying stuff. It means that you're talking to friends. You're listening to different podcasts. It could mean that even at work, you lean in. There's a lot of people that are out there that like their job. They don't love it, but they like it. So trying new things, especially if you want to do something in the future, might mean going to other departments, seeing where you can shadow, seeing where you can just watch, seeing if you can get exposure to what's possible. When you get exposure to what's possible, that doesn't mean that you have to go become some entrepreneur who bets the entire farm on some new venture. It could just mean being involved in things that you previously didn't get a chance to have exposure to. And I think that's so important because not everybody wants to 
or internally in their life path is meant to be an entrepreneur, a builder of a business, a doing a something, you know, trying something different could even be just hanging out with somebody who's written a book before, right? And having them talk about it. And what is that process of self-publishing like? So you can fit this to any mold that you want to in your life. It's not just for people who are young. It's not just for people who are entrepreneurs. It's for everybody that's out there. And my apologies for interrupting. Interrupt all you want. That is a fantastic reminder because like you said, so many people are at organizations, companies, maybe jobs they quote unquote dislike or hate. But what I invite people to do, as you just did, is define what to take. Maybe one day you will leave, but what skill sets can you ensure you can take advantage of that you can walk away with before you leave? And as you just said, I mean, listen, we have nine to fives, but guess what? We have those five to nines. We can work on things in the evenings, in the weekends. As you were talking, it made me think about something a previous guest on this podcast, Mitch Matthews, once told me, and he is talking about this notion of dream jobs. And he said, a dream job is a job that you absolutely love or a job that allows you to do what you love. And even that right there is just an amazing reframe for folks, uh, what that job, that paycheck, that um that provides them with to do what they want to do. So thank you for reminding people that they don't have to quit their job. They don't have to move to Bali and become a bartender. Um, and by the way, moving to Bali, becoming a bartender, if that's for you, go for it. But good reminder for us, Drew. Um, and on the notion of trying a lot of things, but not necessarily quitting your job, it sounds like also, and going back to your love and um, dedication to community, you have an amazing curiosity about others, about people. If you listen to Drew's podcast, A Broken Brain, please, well, there'll be a link in the show notes. Please listen to an amazing podcast. You will listen to Drew ask amazing questions and he hears a lot of things that aren't said. So I'm curious, as you were on your journey to getting to where you are today, can you tell me about your curiosity about others and how often early on while you were trying a lot of those different things out, did you reach out and try to get the counsel of others and hear about their experiences and get that mentorship? You know, one thing I learned very early on, and it was part of like my way of hacking uh, the system, you know, let's say school, is that I was always very gifted with computers and technology. And one thing that I learned very early on is that I, I was a good student. You know, I got almost all A's and a few B's that are there, you know, graduated, uh, you know, not valedictorian, but pretty high up there in the top, like 1.52% of my class that was there. So school was always something that like I did well on, but I was always gifted with this interest in technology. And I remember that early on, even as early as middle school, I saw something really important. I saw that if I went to my teachers and I found out a problem that they were dealing with in their life, and let's say my skill set was computers, they were trying to print something, but they didn't know how to fix it. And there's no tech support at the school or whatever that might be there. I would volunteer my time and I'd say, hey, I saw that you're having this issue with this printer or you're having this issue with this computer or you don't know how to get online or you don't know how to send an email. And what would happen is I would help them out. And when you help people in some area of their life, something amazing happens. You create goodwill. Even in school where teachers are not supposed to have quote unquote favorites, I would say, let's say in high school, especially I did this all the time. I wouldn't study for a test because I'd be playing video games or I'm working on the journalism department or trying to learn web design. I'd come in the next day and I'd have a test coming up and I'd tell my teacher, hey, listen, genuinely, I didn't study for the test today, but I want to study because I was so busy with these other things. Would you be open if I would take it after school and I'll 
take the period off and I'll go study for it and I'll take it after school or I'll take it tomorrow. And they would say, you know what? That's totally fine. First of all, I appreciate the honesty. But second of all, they were willing to do that because I saw they saw that I had their back. And so foundationally, the first thing where that curiosity came from is just genuinely like self-interest, right? That's That was the first, <laughs> first part. The second part is I moved a lot when I was a kid. My dad you know, was climbing up the corporate ladder, got different opportunities that were out there. And in that process, um, we moved a lot. We moved from Kenya to Delaware, Delaware to El Paso, El Paso to Delaware, um, and uh, sorry, Kenya to Tennessee, Tennessee to El Paso, El Paso to Delaware. And I was always the new kid. And as the new kid, one of the things that sucks is that when you get to a new school, when you get to a new place, you're out there in the corner of the room or the class and you're just twiddling your thumbs, just hoping somebody will talk to you again, not fitting in and not fitting in was actually a beautiful thing because it gave me the empathy and the understanding that it's actually tough to be the new person. It's tough to be the new kid. It's tough to be even the adult at a party at the cocktail party who doesn't know somebody. And through that process, I realized something important. And this more blossomed in high school is that people don't have to be the physically new kid. They don't have to have just moved to that town or area to feel like that new kid feeling. They could feel like that new kid feeling if they don't have friends in school, if they don't have, if they're not good at a sport, if they're not good at a subject and they feel like they're lonely. So Having that empathy because I went through that had me in the situation where I realized like other people feel like me too, even if they're not the new kids. So how can I be there for them and how can I support them? So that curiosity was just as a kid out of self-preservation, hacking the school system and just trying to figure out how I can make new friends. As an adult, where that evolved into is I always tell people when I meet somebody new, one of the first questions that I ask myself is, who can I introduce this person to that can further their goals and dreams in life? Right? I'll just repeat that question one more time. When I meet somebody new, like a meaningful connection, right? Who can I introduce this person to that can further their goals and dreams in life? Everybody mm. has goals and dreams, whether they're talking about them or not. And if you ask the right questions, even on an airplane, even in a train, even in an Uber ride, you might start hearing little notes of what their vision, their story, what they care about, what is something that they want to do. And when you put yourself in that mindset regularly, what happens is when you give to others without asking for anything in return, you create such an incredible network around you that people are constantly showering you with goodwill and asking you, what can they do for you? Now, I don't do this as a means to an end. You know, we can all smell when somebody has ulterior motives. It just doesn't feel like the right vibe. But when we do this intentionally and we actually look out for other people, because it doesn't take any more extra effort in time right? We're just asking questions and just thinking we end up doing something so powerful that in the end ends up supporting us with our goals and dreams in our own life too. And that's the power of having a strong network that we're curious about and that we give back to, and that also has the chance to give back to us. Yeah. And I think the difference with you, Drew, versus other people is that, yes, I can say Drew has a strong network, but I think what's more appropriate to say is Drew has strong relationships. Like sometimes I feel like those are two different things. And over the years, 
you have been so generous with introductions that you've made for me, people you've introduced me to, even at parties or gatherings when if I'm the only one there that doesn't know anyone else, the way you go about introducing people to others, that that's huge. And the question you just asked when you look at people, you know, how can you help them accomplish their dreams or get to where they want to go? When we look at individuals like that, wow, it makes people human again. It makes us human again. It doesn't make us all about us when we can take away being selfish and, and thinking there's only so much abundance in the universe. No, there is so much and you've been willing to give so much. So that's just amazing. And, and I really appreciate you for doing that so and, much. And the benefit of that is that like, you know, I like to trade in favors and here's what I mean. I don't need a lot for my own life, but there's times where a family member is going through something, you know, I'm pretty deep in the world of health and I'm pretty deep in the world of like technology and, you know, business. And that's where a lot of my network is. There's a time where a good friend is going through something and I might know somebody that's able to help them out. And then the next time that person is willing to help out somebody that is another friend or family or member of mine that's going through something. And if, if this all sounds just kumbaya, like big picture for people, let me bring it down to earth, right? Let's even talk at a job level. Let's say somebody's out there who's listening to the podcast has a job that they don't love or either has a job that they hate and they're looking to actually just change careers, but they don't know what's possible. Most people don't know this, but only 50% of jobs are ever advertised, right? Yep. Only 50% of jobs are ever advertised. That means the other 50% are purely based on network, network and connections and other stuff. And you see this a lot with especially really incredible job opportunities that are a small business. They're like, look, I don't want to put, or at a big company, we don't want to put a general application out that everybody applies for because this is a special job. This is a job for a linchpin. We need somebody who is the right person for this. We don't want random people applying for it. And when you have a solid network, when you have a network of individuals who are looking out for you, that are looking for the right opportunity for you in career-wise, that are looking for the right friend for you, if you're somebody that has moved to a new city and you don't feel like you have a solid group of friends that are there to support you and everything that you care about in your life, that all comes from deep connections that are there. A friend of a friend who introduces you to the next gig that becomes that dream job, right? A friend of a friend that connects you with that new person in your life that becomes one of your best friends who is there to support you during challenging times. Or you are a new parent or a new father or a new mother and you need additional support and somebody to give you guidance. Anything and everything in life that requires resilience, that's why we have this deep sense of reciprocity and connections that are there because the return on investment forever is that much more solid. And you know, the thing is that we used to understand this as society, you know, it's called doing business like a small business, right? There's like that golden rule of treat others how you would like to be treated because it's a small town where it gets around. And if you are known as somebody that looks after people, people are going to look after you. If you're known as somebody that's short-sighted or doesn't invest in others, right? Or doesn't invite people over for dinner. That's also, you know, something that's going to spread and going to make your life more difficult and more challenging. What a great reminder, especially as it relates to employment and jobs. There are two job economies, the job economy where you submit your job, submit your resume and upload it on the internet. And that job economy, when you reach out to your network or your community, or they even reach out to you and say, I heard about something that's powerful, that it's going to be great for you, this position. Um, yeah, that, that's a great reminder. I can still remember 
uh, when I got to that point in New York City when I didn't feel like I had to submit resumes anymore because the relationships were that strong. Drew, as we get ready to, to wind down, this has been amazing, the conversation that we've had. Going back to that notion of just being willing to try a lot of things, could you talk a little bit about being willing to try a lot of things and, and just the effort that's required in doing that? Because one thing I know that you have in the midst of trying a lot of things, you're not some random person trying this for eight minutes, then going to do this for two minutes and just going every which way. One thing you have is a strong, diligent work ethic. You, you put it all in. And so could you talk about the combination of when you're trying these things to put in the effort, the hustle, if you will, but also the patience that's required at the exact same time? Because as you know, sometimes you can be putting in the effort, having your head down, but you don't always see those results as fast as you would like. Yeah. And I want to start off by saying this for anybody who feels like that's something in their life they struggle with. I want to say that I was not naturally gifted with effort. I do think that there are people that are really hard workers. And I want to say that I don't think that I was you know, gifted with that. That's something that I really had to actually create in my life to stay focused. And I'm going to give a little bit of a contrarian answer, which is that the only reason that I doubled down on the effort and you know, there's uh, one of my books is called the, the One Thing, and I'll explain why one of my books that I, is my favorite books to read and hand out to other people is called The One Thing by Gary Keller, and I'll talk about it in in, in it for um, in a second. But one of the reasons that I got so good at this is that I fell flat on my face. I tried to do too much. I tried to try too many things at the same time. I would overload my plate. I would people please. I'd be involved in. I'd be going wider instead of going deeper. And because I had that experience and I would see that it wasn't getting me to the results that I wanted to in business, in life, in all aspects, that's why I started studying a different way and a different approach that's there. So the first thing that we have to remember in every aspect of our life is things are always the same until one day they aren't, right? Hmm. Things are always the same until one day you decide to do it differently. And that could be in every aspect of your life. It could be financial could be in your career, could be in your relationships. One day, either things get bad enough or you have an inspirational moment and you just say, you know what? I'm not going to live this way anymore and I'm going to go down a different path. Then when I started going down a different path, I started studying people that I looked up to. Just like people listening to this podcast or hearing inspir inspirational stories from all the different people that you interview and they're taking lessons from your own life, Antonio, I just was doing the same thing. And I started to notice some consistent themes. I started to notice that people would set up a foundation. And before they go and try on 20 different other hats, they'd always have a foundational thing they could return to. Maybe it was a core product in their business that was set up to generate revenue so they could explore other aspects that are there, which is something that I like to do. Before I, you know, I do my podcast now and I do a lot of different other ventures and I'm involved in different nonprofits, but the core part of my business is so solid and it's so set up that that's the thing that makes money that allows me to do the different stuff that's out there. So it only came from falling on my face enough times and then wondering what does a different way look like? And I'll come back to the book. You know, one of the tools that's been super helpful is uh, reading about the power of concentrated effort and focus. You know, multitasking and spreading yourself super thin 
is not the way to usually get to your goals and dreams. If we study the life of people who have accomplished incredible stuff, one thing is we saw that when it came to whatever area that they're good at, whether it's Lady Gaga, you know, singing music, whether it's Jeff Bezos with his, you know, that, or the thousands or millions of other entrepreneurs or successful people that we've never heard the name of because they're not fancy and they haven't gotten press, is that they put concentrated efforts and figured out in their key areas of their life, the one thing that will make everything else possible. And that could mean on a yearly basis. It could mean on a quarterly basis. It could mean this week. It could mean this day. What's the one thing that I have to give effort and energy to? And the, that book answers the has you answer the following question. What's the one thing that I can focus on right now such that by focusing on it, it'll make everything else in my life easier uh, unnecessary or more impactful. And when we get clear on that, we start to see that one thing can actually lead to a lot of things. A perfect example, and I'll kind of close up on this, is that I started a podcast a couple years ago. And the reason that I started that podcast is that you know, I'm a CEO and a business owner, and I have 63 employees and you know, five different businesses with my business partner, from medical center to digital programs and product companies. And one of the things I started to realize is a couple of years ago, and I would open up to you and the group that was part of this man morning uh, thing is that I didn't feel like I had a lot of creative energy in my life. And I didn't feel like I was getting that creative expression um, that was out there. I was just kind of operating and in meetings and other stuff. I love my job and I love the work that I get to do. And I love my employees and team and projects, but I was needing that creative outlet. And I remember sharing to the team at the time, I said, you know, I really want to get back into podcasting. I dabbled back into it in a day and I want to step into it. And how I got clear on that is that at that time in my life, focusing on a creative outlet and a passion for me to break up the monotony of the day of running businesses was the most important thing in my career side of it. And I don't mean career in terms of earning money. I just mean enjoyment with the self-expression of work. And I looked at the podcast and I kind of followed some of the steps in the one thing book that I had read about before. Um, and I realized that what's the worst case scenario? The, the short term is if this works out, it's just, just a fun thing that I get to do and I get to scratch that creative itch. On another side of it, I get more content that I can share with people and share with my friends. Number three, if it really takes off, this could be something that I could be known for potentially if I decide to get into advertising dollars in the future. You know, when we get clear about the next most important thing in our life, no matter how it works out, it ends up working out in a lot of different ways, or at least one thing. So I like choosing one area that could benefit a lot of different things and then having the discipline to stay on it because I could see that regardless of how it turns out, it's going to be helpful to every aspect that I'm up to. Drew, that's going to be helpful for so many people, that willingness to be disciplined and focused. And I think you know this, but you are one of the key reasons why I decided to start and invest in myself and doing this podcast. I equally was feeling the exact same way in terms of uh, loving the work that I do, being able to speak with people and write, et cetera, and do those talks on large stages. But certain parts of my creativity was not being expressed. And I watched you begin the Broken Brain podcast uh, well before you ever had 10 million downloads, well before you had a studio where people can watch your uh, amazing dynamic interviews right now and the work that you put in on a regular basis. And I saw the joy that it was giving you. So you were a big inspiration for me and why I'm doing this right now and why we're having this conversation. So I just want to acknowledge you and just say thank you for that. Absolutely, brother. You're super welcome. And I just want to say that that's the power of 
community and friendships. You know, when we lift our friends up, when we ask them questions like, how is that working out for you? What do you like about it? What do you not like about it? What kind of sacrifice did you have to make to start a podcast that's out there? We get inspiration for our own life because the way our minds are designed is that we have this, you know, we have these mirror neurons, these neurons that want to mimic behavior of other people around us. And that's why both for the positive and the negative, we become closer to the people that we spend time in, especially our group of friends. And the same thing is happening on my end with just seeing you go through the process of getting a book deal, putting your ideas on paper, writing your book, and eventually getting out there soon and marketing your book. That's been inspiring to me to think like, wow, you know, I can do that too. You know, here's what it would look like and start to think in advance even before I've committed to the project. So it goes both ways. And I want to thank you for being an incredible inspiration in my life too. I appreciate that, man. And thank you so much for joining me on this episode of The Best Best Thing. I'm getting all excited over here listening to each other talk. I can't even say the name of my podcast. Thank you for being on this episode of The Best Thing. It's going to help so many people. I appreciate you. I look forward to doing it again. And one day, I can't wait to sit across from you on The Broken Brain Podcast. I can't wait to have you on, man. We'll save it for... Uh... You know, around the book launch, our audience needs to hear about all the things that uh, you have to offer. So looking forward to it. I can't wait. All right. Take care, Drew. You too, Antonio. Thanks for listening to The Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.